You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Get into the ministry of the word. Um, I'm going to read our teaching text for us, which comes to us from Matthew 2, uh, verses 1 through 2 and 9 through 11. Matthew writes, says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, we are in the second week of our Advent series, What's Myrrh Got to Do With It? I did come up with that. Uh, Where we are exploring the gifts of the Magi is instructed to the gifts that we bring to Jesus. If you were here last week, we talked about how uh, the whole Advent story is, is, is about God. It's about Jesus coming to reveal the glory of God. This newborn king is coming to take his rightful place uh, in this world and in our hearts. And as such, we have an invitation to come and show, as one does to a new administration, to a king, our loyalty, our devotion, our fealty. Uh, And so what does it look like for us to bring our gifts to the newborn king? What does it look like for us to give to Jesus? Uh, my wife and I have been married, uh, it will be six years in February, so we are like marriage first graders. Um, thank you, thank you. Um, and uh, when it comes to gift giving, it's been, um, it's been interesting. Uh, a couple of stories that come to mind is like our first like Christmas, we were still like dating and, and my wife, uh, we had taken this walk and one day she was telling me that she had really wanted like a nice pair of, of uh Oxfords, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, that's cool. And I thought about it, stored it away. Christmas time came, and I was like, man, I'm going to nail this gift. She won't even remember we had this conversation, and I found these, like, really nice-looking Oxfords, and, um, and I had them all wrapped. And so we get to the gift-giving, and she's, like, opening a present, and then she gets to, like, the last present, like, this was the big one. And she's like, oh, okay, thank you, cool. And I was like, you don't remember the conversation, the Oxfords? And she's like, oh, these are Oxfords? <laughs> Turns out my wife doesn't know the difference between Oxfords and loafers. Uh, <laughs> and so that was the first moment where I was like, I think we need some clarity here. Uh, and then there was like our, our Christmas. I love to cook. And, and um, for me, it's like this, this activity of like just release and, and just like creativity. And so my dear wife on like our, our like second uh Christmas is a married couple, and she's so excited to give me this gift. And like, I open it up, and it's like a sous vide. If you don't know what a sous vide is, it's, it's essentially this this device you put into water, and then you put your food into it, and it like uses the water to cook your your meal or whatever to a perfect temperature. And so she gives it to me, and I'm like, Oh, okay, thank you. See, the problem was I love cooking, 
but I actually like love cooking. I don't want to put it in a bath and leave it. Like, I want to do it. That's what I actually love about it. And so we realized, uh, in short, that we were a little off on this gift thing. And so what we decided to do is this. Hey, instead of putting all this pressure to come up with, like, the perfect gift, why don't we just, like, talk about this and ask? Like, why don't, you know, leading up to gift times, we just say, like, here are things that I like. And here's, like, when we give our gifts, like, do you like that? How did that work for you? And, and what that does is it, it seems like, you know, unsexy. I didn't know we could say that, but we're, it's the seal's been broken. Um, <laughs> but uh, it seems unsexy, but, but really what it does is it allows me then to know truly what gift she desires. And then over time, as I get better and better, I won't need to ask as much as much because I will understand more. So there's this, there's this aspect of gift giving where we're just like, who is this person that I'm giving to and what actually do they desire? And I think that's a necessary point for us as we start talking about these gifts that we bring to Jesus because the first question I would ask is what gifts does he desire? What gifts does God want? And this can be really confusing. So if you look into the Old Testament, uh, and particularly in Leviticus, as, as, as God is establishing the order of the Israelite people, uh, verses one through 10, chapters one through 10 of Leviticus is all about the sacrificial system for Israel. This is how they would give and bring and present gifts to God. And there was two kind of categories of gifts. First, were the voluntary gifts that people would bring, the voluntary sacrifices. And this would be a burnt sacrifice, which would uh, simplify one's devotion to God. This, uh, I come to you and I give you the first of my fruits, and it's completely devoured. There were grain offerings, and these were thanks to God. This is where I say, God, you have been uh, extra bountiful and providing for me, and I want to just show that respect, and I bring a, a grain offering. And then lastly, there were peace offerings, and this is where we fellowshiped with God or fellowship with one another, this was an act of bringing this offering and to establish communion and peace with God and one another and the food. Those offerings were actually consumed uh, by the people that brought them. So those were voluntary sacrifices, unmated, unmandated, but then there were also mandated sacrifices. And under that category, there was two main sacrifices. One was a sin sacrifice or a sin offering, and this was to practice atonement for a sin that I had done, something that I had committed and willfully and knowingly broken fellowship with God or man, I would bring a sin sacrifice and the priest would use it and administer it to bring me back into relationship with God. And then secondarily, there was a trespass offering, which was always a ram. And this was brought when I had um, unknowingly committed sins, these sins of commission, things, you know, I just didn't know that I wasn't supposed to throw that away and, you know, you were going to eat that later. Uh, and so I bring this like, this trespass offering to God an acknowledgement of the sins that I don't don't even know that I commit that break the world. So you have this whole list of sacrificial system, which that makes sense. But then when you go into the scriptures, it, things get a little confusing. Like, God, do you really, you know, these are Oxford's, right? Because all this system is set up. And yet you go to verses like Proverbs 21 and three, which says to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. 
Jesus in Matthew 9, 13 says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Psalm 51, 17 says, the sacrifices you desire are the broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And we see in Amos and Isaiah time and again, God says, I don't want your, your, your sacrifices and all these things that you do for me. I just want your heart. And you're like, but you told us to do it. So what do you want? What is happening here? This is what's happening. God ultimately wants our hearts. He wants all of our beings. But it's in the relationship with our material things, in our relationship and the things that we do, that the owner of our hearts are revealed. And so God asks for material things. He asks for the sacrifices. He asks for the lambs and the rams and the doves and the grain. He asks that because in that giving, in the practicality of that, it reveals who and what my heart has been given to. It reveals whether I've actually given my heart to God or if I've given it to other things or if I've kept it for myself. We see this in Matthew 12, this understanding that the things that we do reveal who we are. When uh, Matthew 12, when Jesus says to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth, the practical outflowing of my life, reveals what's in my heart. So who we are, our heart, our being, that phrase, who we are, is really shorthand for the tension between what we say and what we do. That is actually who we are. We aren't just all that we say, and we aren't also just all that we do, but it's in that kind of tension of who we are and who we want to be and what we believe and what we live out that we find ourselves. So if we're going to give ourselves to God, we must first understand who we are and where our Lord lies. The first gift of the Magi listed in our, in our teaching text is gold. And for our purposes, I think this is rather poignant because gold is historically considered a kingly gift. And if there is one gift that the Lord delights in, it's the offer of kingship over our lives. And what is kingship? We talk about this, this kingship and the, the gold of our lives. Well, when it comes to kingship, we look to kings, namely for three things, security, provision, and opportunity. Now, this is evident in our mythology. When we think about tales like King Arthur, we want this, this once and future king who comes and establishes peace. The kingdom is, is free from harm and outside invaders. And also, there's enough food for everyone to eat. Everyone's needs are being met. And then there's plenty room and, and, and growth opportunities for those to travel and to see the world. There's opportunity to live beyond your means. Uh, C-SPAN every year. Uh, conducts a survey for best presidents and their methodology, the things that they use to determine uh, the ranking of presidents every year contain things like crisis leadership, economic management, moral authority, international relations, administrative skills, vision setting agendas, pursued justice, uh, pursued equal justice for all. When it comes to kings, when it comes to leaders, we desire to be safe to have our needs satisfied, and our idea of what's possible expanded. And this is what our finances seemingly offer us. And this is why we focus kind of on our finances today, because when we talk about kingship, it is oftentimes where our hearts lie and where we have placed our trust. James Baldwin uh, says this quote that, you know, uh, if you're like, 
if you've been poor in America, you know just how expensive it is. Like, like it's very expensive, actually, to be poor because it turns out that poverty is not just a lack of money. It's a lack of opportunity. It's a lack of things. And so it necessitates that we sometimes want to, to, to hoard and grab as much money as we can in an effort to provide for ourselves. We're not alone in this. Mark 10, there's this passage where a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and there's, uh, there's this interesting point, uh, how the story starts, Mark describes. In verse 17, he says, as Jesus started on this way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him, saying, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man has come to Jesus and he assumes this position of a servant to a king. He falls on his knees as if bowing down before royalty. And so he recognizes this kingship of Jesus is something that he desires. And so he asks, what must I do? What do you require of me? Jesus goes on to list a bunch of commandments uh, that is required of Old Testament practices. And after he lists them, the, the, the young man says, I've done all of those things. In verse 21, I love what it says. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. I love that it starts that Jesus looked at him and loved him because this teaches me or tells me that the man before Jesus was coming in sincerity. There are often times when you read throughout the Gospels that the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the ruling religious class of his day, would come to Jesus and they would, they would ask some question or they would seek some desire of him, but they, had, uh, they did not have pure intentions. They were trying to trick him or manipulate him. They bring him this woman who's been caught in adultery and they say, hey, the law says stone her. What are you gonna do? Or they come to Jesus and they say, hey, you're supposed to pay taxes, but your people aren't paying the religious tax. What are you going to do? And to them, Jesus often finds, uh, comes with rebuke and scorn and he calls out and reveals that, hey, you don't actually care about these things. You're actually trying to just uphold a crooked system. But this man is not coming to trap Jesus. He sincerely desires to follow him. And so Jesus looks at him, and he loves him, and then he calls him to give up everything. And then after he says, sell all that you have and give to the poor, he says, then come and follow me. Now, this, if you've been around church any amount of time, this is a new story for you, so you know what happens. Mark goes on and tells us that in verse 22, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus turns to his followers and he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they're just like, what? Jesus says it again, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That seems particularly harsh, especially in the light that there are so many uh, followers of God extending back from Abraham forward, King David, who are some of the richest people on earth. So what does God mean? What does Jesus mean when he says that it's hard for rich people, extremely hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God? Well, I think we get a hint in this. Timothy, uh, Peter writes to Timothy, or Paul writes to Timothy, he says, First uh, Timothy 6 and 10, uh, the love of money, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money itself that is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. And I think the reason why it's the love of money that is the root of all evil is because through money, 
we, we have self-reliance, and we can trust in our own ability to provide for our security, our provision, and our opportunity. The root of all evil is self-reliance for security, provision, and opportunity. Think of the things that continually trip you up if you analyze them. Oftentimes, with that, the base of it, when you strip away the actions, whatever that action may be, it comes from us trying to find our own happiness. It comes from us trying to create our own safety. It comes from us trying to expand the walls that we've known. Because it's hard to give a king kingship over our lives. And I have to believe that if I just keep it to myself, I know, I know that, 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 that engrossing myself uh, in my food or, or engaging uh, in this like harmful activity with my body, I know it may be harmful, but I know for a moment I'll have satiation. And so I go for it. And I have to go harder and deeper and darker each time because it gives me back less and less, but I want more and more. And yet, Jesus stands to offer and to be our security, our provision, and our opportunity. Tim Keller says, the chief cry of hell is that I am my own. The chief cry of hell is I am my own. I am my king. I will provide for me. This is mine. There was a big phrase going around a few years ago. I built this. I want to say that when we look at the, the rich young ruler, it's easy to assume um, some moral superiority. But I love this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, the difference between ourselves and the rich young man is that he was not allowed to solace his regrets by saying, never mind what Jesus says. I can still hold on to my riches, but in a spirit of inner detachment. Despite my inadequacy, I can take comfort in the thought that God has forgiven me my sins and can have fellowship with Christ in faith. But no, he went away sorrowful because he would not obey. He could not believe. In this, the young man was quite honest. He went away from Jesus, and indeed, this honesty had more promise than any apparent communion with Jesus based on disobedience. The fact of the matter is, it's very easy to say yes Jesus is king of my heart. I read my Bible once a day. Yes, Jesus has died for my sins and I go to church every Sunday, so surely he's king of my heart. And yet when it comes time to give, when it comes time not just of our money but of our time and our resources, those are the times where we draw back and we say, ah, I don't know, God. I'm going to pray about it. I'm just not hearing from God. The young man didn't have that opportunity. He stood before Jesus and says, will you give all that you have to me or will you not? And he couldn't do it. Because it's so hard when you can provide for yourself to trust that someone else, especially someone that you cannot see, that they will provide for you. When you examine the belief of your hearts and the work of your hands, who or what have you made king? 
I think that's the question for us today. Have we truly offered Jesus kingship over our lives? Or have we created facades of fealty and devotion while maintaining the security, the provision, the opportunity for ourselves? And what would it look like to offer kingship to Jesus? How does it function? Well, I think it looks like surrender. It's saying, God, I offer it all to you. What would you have me to do with my money, my time, my energy, my resources? That I seek God for the vision and the wisdom on how I spend the things that he has so richly given me. And when we do that, when we surrender to Jesus, when we really practice, practice in community, this is not an isolated exercise, right? Because sometimes practicing kingship to Jesus, uh, maybe it's giving, but as I think I love what Meg said, sometimes it's receiving. Because some of us are sitting in here and we've gotten ourselves so squandered in debt, right? And it's like bearing down on us and we can't let anyone know. And so we'd rather, because we feel like they might like, see us in shame, that they might condemn us. And so we can't have that because that feels unsafe. And so we continue falling down the hole and the muck and the mire instead of surrendering to Jesus and the family of God and saying, I need help. Jesus, will you pull me out of this? Some of the help that you need is sitting two rows beside you. This is what it means to be family. When we surrender to all, we will find a good king who secures our safety, who meets our needs, and offers us a full life, more opportunity than you could hope or imagine. You don't have to take my word for it, though. Uh, You could take B. Boatwrights, who's my dear, sweet saint of a mother. Um, Sometimes it gets so hard when you think about these things just in the context of, like, the text and the word and, and ancient books. What does it look like in reality and in life today? So uh, my mother's birthday was Thanksgiving, and, and uh, on Thanksgiving, I, I bought her this new prayer journal. Uh, and it's like this five-year prayer journal where she can write down her prayers. And she was so happy when she came and she showed me her, what she was using, which was like these little, like, tattered little notebooks she'd been writing her prayers down for years. And She shared with me a couple that I I just wanted to share with you because it blessed me and maybe it'll bless you about the kingship of Jesus. Um, So I'm just going to read it. Uh, So this happened August 14th, 2003. My mother wrote this. uh, $3 in the bank, uh, no meat to eat. Um, Prayed, saw no way. Uh, Just got a phone call from an old job to come and pick up a check for $240. Paid tithe bought groceries, deposited $40. God answered my prayer needs on August 15th. (laughs) Uh, Three days later, August 18th, uh, car wouldn't go into drive, was unable um, to work, didn't have enough money to fix car, prayed. Uh, August 19th, saw no way, got a phone call from pastor that the church will fix the car. God answered my prayer on August 19th. A few weeks later, September 4th, um, I asked my father, uh, Heavenly Father, for a job. All of our utility bills are due. 
received a commission check for $850 on October 4th from selling diabetic shoes. <laughs> so you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> I was so blessed reading this testimony of my mother. And my, my parents are doing a lot better. They've, they've come a long way. Um, but when I look at these things, what I see is it's not this prosperity theology that like, okay, I sowed and then God like blessed me because of that. No, uh, my parents were, were the mind like, we have nothing. We, we have this need. We only got $3. Where do we go? To whom do we go? We go to Jesus. We go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you are king. Will you provide? And what does he do? He does not scorn. He does not turn away, but he provides. He provides. Sometimes it's the next day. Sometimes it's a month later. He provides, and he, he provides our security, and he brought safety when the car doesn't work, and you can't get to work, he provides. He opens up dreams. Uh, there's, there's one I didn't put up here, but uh, it's, uh, it was in like 2012. Uh, this new subdivision had opened just down from my parents' church. And my mother walked by, as she drove by and she saw it, and she wrote down in her prayer journal, God, would you give me a house in this subdivision? And she, and, she, and she just prayed. She just asked, God, would you, would you provide this opportunity? Uh, that was in, uh, I think it was like March. And then in November, some months later of all these prayers, she gets this pre-approval letter that she maybe can buy a house. That is wild. All right, banks just out here giving people money. My parents are able to buy a house. And then she prays, and she's able to like cobble together, but like she doesn't have quite enough for like the, the, um, the down payment. And so she goes into these people, and she just like asks these people in the house. I'm like, this is what I have. Can we somehow make this work? And next thing you know, USAA Bank, I don't know how they figured it out, but they let my mom get a mortgage. My mom and dad have this beautiful house now um, the, in the subdivision that she prayed for right down from the church, and they open it up to whoever needs. They take in people. My mom works at a Christian university, and they've taken in students who have a need. They, uh, they had a friend who his housing plans fell through, and, and so he lived with them for two months. They've, they've given back to God what he has given to them. And I, and I say all this to say this um, as the band plays and as we move towards uh, our response. We serve a good king. And if you will but trust him, if you will but just wholly lean on in on him, if you will just open your hands, no matter how much or how little is in it, and say, Jesus, make of me what you will. Do with me what you will. It may not look how you imagined. It may not look how you dreamed. It may not look like your neighbors. It may not look like that person you heard about, but I can promise you that what you will find is security, provision, opportunity, everything that you need to live a life and a life to abundance, because that's what Jesus is about. He is a good king. So we come to worship him today. And so as we move towards response, I, I want to tell you about our, our Christmas offering. It's going to be one of the main ways we respond today. Um, and our Christmas offering is taking a, it's going to take a wider view going forward, right? Because oftentimes it's been about, about money, and we want to offer that up because uh, the, the fact of the reality is uh, uh, over the past year, as you kind of seen uh, from, from last year and this year, um, uh, the giving has, has, has dropped off. Our offerings have decreased, and that's for a lot of different reasons. None of it malicious. just is what has happened. Um, 
And what that means is there are things that we have committed to, things that we have said we were going to be, like we were going to be a just, we're going to have a justice fund. We said that we were going to have a deacon's fund so there would be no needs among us. We committed to providing a space for foster parents to have a night off. We committed for single moms of Brooklyn to have a space where they can be loved and cared on and fellowship together while their kids are watched in a healthy environment. These are things we committed to, let alone spiritual formation, development of the good way. These are things that we have put our hands to. And so we need to cultivate those things. We need to maintain our commitments. But also, I think there's invitation that God wants to give us. He gives us an opportunity to sow into some things that he's been doing. And so one of the things that we want to do is we want to like sow into some dreams, like another prayer room, right? Uh, We want to expand the good way to hopefully make it uh, easier for our church to engage with, but also maybe other churches to engage with. Uh, We want to continue to develop um, our kids' ministry. We want to pour into this next generation. We want to figure out ways in which we can serve our community and address things like food insecurity that happens around us. So what does this look like? Well, it looks like a few ways. The first of which, financial, that's always a thing. Uh, Our goal this year is $75,000. 60 of that is to just shore up our operational budget and the things that we've committed to. The extra 15 is that we can go out and sow some dreams. What would happen if we taught our city to pray? What would it look like if we opened up a space of 24-7 prayer? Maybe we can't do it like year round. Maybe it's for two weeks, three weeks. But I think God is doing something there as we are becoming a people of prayer. What would it look like to put our money behind it? That's the money part. Next, God just wants more than our money. He wants our lives. So what does it look like for me to serve and to give my time and my energy, right? And so that's things inside of this church, right? So uh, our worship teams, our AV teams, people that help this thing going, our hospitality teams, there are people who who come early to sit out the chairs that you sit in. Uh, Things like our, our deacons who manage our deacons fund, our generosity fund, our hospitality teams, our kids' ministry. I'm serving on the 19th. If you haven't signed up, you can come serve with me, right? It is important that we invest in the next generation, right? And I just heard a story this week from Diana where someone who was like, I'm actually not really into kids, but I signed up and was like, yeah, I kind of love that. So maybe you're not a kids person. That's okay. We'll let you put out the snacks. No kids involved. But it takes a village, so we all got to do our part. You hear what I'm saying? So maybe it's serving inside of these doors, right? And so you'll find that on the Christmas offering page, a way for you to donate or give. I I hate donate, because donate's like, here, take my money. This is about family work. What I'm talking about is we got to do the dishes, okay? It's, it's, it's not just being able to sit around and watch TV and, and the chair. We have to do the dishes. So this is doing the dishes. So how do we serve in our kids' ministry? But we don't just want to be people contained in these four walls. So we want to think about what God is doing, and maybe he's offering and expanding our view of what's possible outside of these doors. So in our Christmas offering, you're going to find a thing called dreams. And what this is, maybe you have an idea of what God has been seeding in your heart for us or for the world around us, and you're like, what if we got after this? Submit your dream. Give your dream to God. And we as a family, we say, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's get behind this all together and let's make it happen, right? So whether it's your money, whether it's your time and your energy, whether it's your dreams that you've been holding on to, the desires that God has planted in your heart, would today we practice the kingship of Jesus and bring it all to him 
and say, take it, grow it, use it, whatever you will do. This is not about me. This is about the glory of Jesus made manifest in the world. And so as we stand, we're going to respond. You can literally take out your phones and go to the Christmas offering page, oaksbk.church, you can respond right there at that manner on your phone. Don't delay. Take it. Just go ahead and do it. But maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know. God, how are you calling me to give? How are you calling me to be generous? How are you calling me to give my time and energy? Maybe you just need to sit with him and ask him. That's a great place to start, right? But we have these prayer roads. These are places, like I said, there's nothing magic about it. It's just an opportunity to do like that rich young ruler to show our desire to offer Jesus kingship and we can lay down with our bodies. You can get on our knees. Whatever you need to do, we offer that. There'll be people here to pray with you because again, this is a communal thing. And so we pray with one another. We go before the Lord asking and seeking him out. And then lastly, in all of this, all of this, I hope in nothing that you give Nothing that you do in this church, I pray it doesn't come from guilt or shame or slick advertising. If that's your motivation, if that's what's driving you, from the bottom of my heart as a leader of this church, keep it. We really don't need it in that manner. What God desires is a joyful and cheerful giver who comes because says, this is my reasonable act of worship. I want to practice with my body, with my mind, with my time, with my energy, my resources. I want to practice worship to Jesus. That is why I give. I don't give because of anything you said. I give because I'm telling Jesus I love you. That is what we want to be. And so that's where we move from a heart of praise. And so let's move towards the Lord in a heart of praise and worship. And may in that, may it just lead us forward into holistic giving of all of ourselves to the kingship of Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a good king, that in you, in you we are safe. As the psalmist says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have to fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort us. In you, there is sure provision. You can turn water into wine. You can take a boy's lunch and feed a village. You can take a little cup of oil and a widow's two mites, and you can multiply it and use it. And so we come and we trust you for your provision. And then we know, Lord, that you are about life. You said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so you, in you there is opportunity. There's more than we could ask or imagine. And so, God, Jesus, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father, would you move in, through, and among us? Would you break the things that keep us from giving kingship to you? Would you open our eyes into the way those things have failed us? And then through the gentle stirring of your spirit, would you call us into the invitation to know your glory and to receive your glory through your love for us. We come and respond. Amen.